Good morning. morning. It's so good, isn't it, to be together, the family of God. I heard this uh, quite famous Christian. You've heard of Francis Chan? Well, when you read his books and listen to him, it makes you think, maybe I'm not a Christian. But anyway, he did say this. He said, um, when I'm with the people of God, I encounter God. So I run to where the people of God are. And I don't know about you, that's how it felt this morning. We're in the presence of God. He is risen. He's alive. He's changing our lives. And uh, it's just a privilege to be able to talk to you this morning about Jesus and his resurrection. And uh, it's sort of a two-part series. Last week, Ashley spoke, and uh, we're going to be looking at the resurrection through the eyes of Peter. And at the end, I think there'll be, well, there will definitely be time for a response and for us to worship. But last week, we looked at Jesus' journey to the cross through the eyes of Peter, his unlawful arrest, the confrontation with soldiers and religious leaders, and as the big tough guy Peter, we can all resonate with him, I guess, cut off a servant's ear, an unarmed servant. There were lots of other soldiers nearby, but let's go for the weak one. Jesus brought that episode to an end, and he said, this is what I came to do. And Peter's denial of Jesus and that sense of aloneness that Ashley brought out last week of Jesus as he faced the trial and the upcoming crucifixion. A picture of failure, it looked like, and the journey had come to an end. And then Good Friday and Jesus' death, the most significant death throughout history complete. Jesus mocked, beaten, humiliated, alone, even alone from God the Father. Crown of thorns pressed upon his head, lashed with a whip with little bones in it that brings open his, rips open his flesh. And then as he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. What an amazing thing. And now we come to Easter Sunday, and we're here to celebrate Jesus and his resurrection. And we're going to do that with some detail on how this affected Peter and how this event changed him for the rest of his days. And it's true for you and me as well. Jesus' resurrection is the most dramatic, significant event ever, full stop, with no exception. And of course, we're going to look at it through the eyes of Jesus, uh, through Peter, but we're going to be saying this really clearly, Jesus is centre stage. If at the end of this morning, we're not in awe of Jesus, then I've failed. But I just need to read the Bible and we'll be in awe of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Jesus through the eyes of Peter. And uh, he's centre stage. And, and he's the only one who's ever risen from the, ga- the grave. So, but before I speak to us, I'd like us to watch a, a short video by the guy, the same one as last week, Diet Waldridge is his name. So let's watch the video. Wow, it's an amazing video, right? Um, I don't know how long it is. I've watched that, I reckon, eight times this week. And uh, I think it's brilliant. And it takes us right into the story of what's going on. It's, when you watch it, it's as if you're there, you're on the beach with him and... The thing is, as I was preparing this and watching that over and over again, as I read my Bible, I found myself doing it in a Welsh accent. (laughs) Boyle. That's as good as it gets. I won't do any more accents. Any Welsh people here? Because I definitely don't want to offend anyone. It's a compliment, right? Anyway, no hands went up. (laughs) When Jesus died, Peter went into the shadows. No wonder he denied Jesus three times. And 
Peter was always that guy who put his hand up. You know, he's the person in the class when you was at school, if you've got a good memory, you know, I'll do it, I'm first, you know, he's the person in kids' work who's, Jesus is the answer, he's the one first in, first in line all the time. He's the one who walked on the water caught when Jesus called him out of the boat. He was the bravest, so, so he thought. He was the most outspoken. That's who he was. But Peter's story is one of complete collapse and restoration. Peter's identity was wrapped up in him being the bravest. Just to go, but we're going to focus on chapter 21 of John in a moment. But chapter 20, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there. So she runs to the disciples. And uh, if you've been in church for more than 13 months, you would have probably heard that it's worth noting that it was the women who arrived at the tomb. The men were locked away a little bit frightened. Peter, not quite the guy he thought he was. All the boys locked away in fear. And as we look at the resurrection through the eyes of Peter, we can see so easily there's only one hero of the Bible. Whether we look at any character in the, in the Bible, Jesus is the only hero. Everyone else, every other one in the Bible is flawed in one way or another, which is good news for us. Because I am, and I'm sure you would say about yourselves, you are flawed. Jesus is the hero. The disciples, all of them, were doubters, deniers, and deserters. Have you ever denied Jesus or deserted Jesus? Have you ever doubted Jesus? I know I have on a number of occasions. And that's being very kind to myself when I say on a number of occasions. It usually doesn't get noticed by anyone, though. It's in the quiet place. I just remember when I was in the police and I had to write a statement and there was a lot of pressure to just omit one word, which I did. And everyone, well done. But you know, I was denying Jesus in that moment. To please others, to grieve Jesus. However much we like to big up men and women of the Bible or even one another, as I did to Francis Chan earlier, they're all flawed. Jesus is the only one who conquered the grave and lived the perfect life, and that's who we look to. So let's read the Bible. Uh, we're going to look in, Gen- in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 23. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 metres. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. 
So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that the disciple, this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So this is Jesus' third appearance to his disciples. And to really get into the mindset of Peter, we need to grasp the magnitude of his failings. The depth is great. Peter had made it clear. I'm the big guy. I'm the most loyal. I'm the bravest. I will follow you, Jesus, even to death. I will die with you. And in John 13, Jesus tells his disciples what is going to happen in the weeks ahead. And one among you will betray me. And I'm about to die. Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. In the same chapter, Jesus predicts Peter's downfall. John 13, 38 says this. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Just as Jesus predicted, Peter denied him three times. The first time at a distance around a fire pit. You aren't one of his disciples, are you? Twice more it happened. The servant girl looked closely at Peter. This man was with him. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, Jesus, he, this time it said, uh, well, he said, woman, I don't know him. That's what Peter replied. And it happened again. And Jesus, Peter even cursed Jesus. As if to prove the point, I'm not with him. I'm showing you I'm not with him because I'm just cursing him. In the Gospel of Luke, it says Peter was denying Jesus just as the crow, as the cock crowed. Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine that look? Often we can think it must have been a bit of a look 
you've let me down, Peter. You're a failure. I'm condemning you. But it's not that at all. It's one of recognition. Jesus had already told Peter that he was going to be sifted by Satan. Maybe when you hear this, you can see the shame from Peter's perspective or the disappointment, maybe, from Jesus' perspective. But that's not how Jesus views Peter. Jesus is looking at him really more about restoration. I know what's coming, Peter. Jesus always has an eye. In that moment, there's a lot going on. He's thinking about his death. But the cock crows three times and he gazes in Peter's eye. And that's what Jesus does with us. He gazes in our eye. He has an eye for you and me. And I believe that Jesus, because you look at the Bible and you look at the Gospels, and who is Jesus? What is he like? He doesn't condemn. He's full of love. So I believe Jesus looked on Peter with compassion, with kindness, to restore. And that's what God does with us. That's what Jesus does with us. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And this was an important, significant moment. Peter had realised at that point how far he had fallen short. I'm not who I thought I was. Have you ever had those moments? I'm not the person who I thought I was. I imagine Peter meant the promises he said in those earlier weeks. Of course he did, or probably did. Have you ever over-promised to Jesus? I'm 63 now, and I think I've done it a number of times. But it's a valuable lesson when we recognise it. I've over-promised. Because we can be humbled before God, and that's not a... That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, to recognise who we are and I'm humble before him because it's about Jesus and because I need Jesus. His kindness, his mercy is what changes us. He wants to use you and me, bring us in on the things of the kingdom of God. And Peter was at the beginning point of his restoration, although he didn't know at this stage. He wept bitterly, gutted, totally destroyed but he was contrite of heart. There was something in him that was repentant. And as we see shortly, we see where it takes him as he says, of course I love you. Compare this to Judas. Matthew 27, 3. When Jesus, Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned to the 30 pieces of silver to the, to the chief priests and to the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. And it was blood money that he received from the blood of the lamb. Jesus' blood that could have covered Jesus' sin in the same way that it, could have, it did cover Peter's. Judas had been with Peter for... Uh, with, there's too many names going on in my head here, right? But Judas had been with Jesus for three years and he knew what repentance looked like. Self-exposure, laying yourself open going in a different direction, running to Jesus. Instead, he hid in the shadows of shame, and that's where he stayed. Remorse for Judas wasn't repentance. Don't compound your sin by running away from Jesus. He's the one who restores. He's the one who heals. And as we get back to the third appearance, the, the encounter with Jesus, we find Peter going back to a bit of fishing. Verse 3 of 21 says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Back to the day job. He'd met with the risen Jesus. 
But there was still more to be done for Peter, more and complete restoration. I guess they were a bit in limbo. What's our next move? What's the next plan? So Peter goes back to a bit of fishing. Maybe his family thought, at last, we've got Peter back. He's going to go and earn a bit of money for once. But probably, Peter still felt disqualified. They caught nothing. And the same thing happened when Jesus first calls Peter. I don't know if you remember the story right at the beginning. Put your nets out, says Jesus. Simon Peter responds, we've been fishing all night. But if you say so, we will. And they put the nets out again. And the nets began to to break because of the great haul of fish. And in those first moments, when Peter first meets Jesus, he recognises something. There's something about this Jesus. And Peter, Simon Peter says to him in that moment, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And we'll see the contrast a bit later as Peter is now confronted with Jesus. John 21, 4 and 5 says this, Friends, have you any fish? Shouts Jesus. No, they answer. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I don't suppose they knew the phrase deja vu. I don't even know what that means. I guess it's French, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, someone could tell me afterwards. There's no Welsh people in here. There's probably someone who can speak French. But anyway, you know the point. Did they, you know, there's this sense we've been here before with Jesus. John connected the dots. It's the Lord, he cries. And Peter, this time, instead of asking Jesus, get away from me, I've sinned, I'm I'm a bad person. He decides to do something very different. Instead of saying he's a sinful man, he dives into the water, a hundred metre swim. And he swims with energy and vigour. He's got to get to Jesus. Peter has everything in him. I've got to get to Jesus. Still got some unfinished business with Jesus. And I love that about Peter. There's never a mediocre response. And I'd say quite often, there's never a mediocre response for us to Jesus. Peter ran to Jesus, well, swam to Jesus, before he cowered in front of Jesus. Or maybe there can be a lukewarm response, right? But it tells a story if we have a lukewarm response to Jesus. I read this quote, and I can't remember it was by, but anyway, this is what it said. When God ceases to surprise us, that may be the moment we have ceased to do business with him. Cuts right through, doesn't it? I want to be surprised by God. I think God wants us to be a people who run to Jesus. I'm crying out to God, don't let me run cold. I need you, Holy Spirit, every moment, every day. I'm praying for a holy discontent because I know there's more. At my age, there's more. At your age, there's more. For us as a church, there's so much more. And I don't want to accept second best. I want to be that man who runs to Jesus, the one who's following after Jesus with everything I've got. Let's not accept second best. Let's not accept anything remotely mediocre. And Jesus' resurrection, it's a lot about Peter, I've said, but his resurrection, let's not just file it away. It's Easter Sunday, and then we get on with the rest of our lives, and it's so much more, isn't it? Let's not become over-familiar. The risen Jesus Christ. Let's remind ourselves that Jesus rose again to ascend to heaven. Jesus rose again to reign 
to rule and to reign, to sit at the right hand of the Father, to be in all authority, to intercede for you and me. Jesus rose again to rescue us from sin and death. Jesus rose again to satisfy our souls, to give us peace, to gladden our hearts. And he rose again that we too would be raised forevermore. A new body, a number of hallelujahs, at least quietly in that moment. Be with him forever. That's what we've got to look forward to. But back to Peter in verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And the significance of the fire pit would not be lost on Peter. The fire pit, of course, is where Jesus, Peter, denied Jesus. Where he felt such pain. Where he had that glance from Jesus. You know, there might be certain places, small events, that evoke memories. Places that you visit. Places that you'll never visit again. That evoke memories, strong memories of pain, perhaps. Difficulties. Sometimes there's places we go and they're great memories. But other places it can be, they make us recoil. But God wants to deal with pain in our lives. Um, Just a very quick story. Um, Most of you know, because I tell people, um, me and Sally have been married. Jenny, sorry. (laughs) Well, that makes me human, right? (laughs) Sorry, Jenny. Me and Jenny have been married nearly 15 years, right? I got that bit right, so that's the, that's, I'm bringing it back now, I'm bringing it back. But, um, but you know, like I was married before to Sally, and, um, and I, there's a moment, right, in, I was a London cab driver, you probably all know that as well, because I mention it every other time I get up here, but I remember coming over Cromwell Road, down the, it's a downhill bit, phone call comes in, Sally phones me, it's bad news, there is no hope. Drive on, go in the hospital, Royal Marsden, go in there, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff happens. Now, for the next, I don't know how many years, for a long time, I'm in the Fulham Road, and there's the hospital on the right. There's the front doors, beautiful building, by the way. The next building, next windows, and then there's the next windows where we have the news from the doctor, where we have that encounter, full of pain. Not the same as Peter's, right? Peter's, is, he's weeping bitterly because of his mess up, but pain all the same. And I think there are people in this room, there are moments, there are things, there are events, there are places in our lives that make us recoil. And I think God wants to change that for us. He wants to restore us. He wants us to know freedom. It's not that you forget those moments, but they're not painful that you can never return to. It might be a building or a place. It might be a job. It might be an experience. It might be a relationship. God wants to heal us. Jesus made Peter retrace his steps. I've got that right around, didn't I? Jesus made Peter retrace his steps. And Jesus was not trying to humiliate Peter, but to see him for who he was. Understand his situation, his current state. Remind him how far short he was so that he could reinstate him, restore him. Even in that painful moment. A shaping moment for the rest of his days. A humbling moment. But coming to that place of dependence upon God. God is reminding us of our mistakes sometimes. 
not to relive the painful moments, but to restore us and bring us hope and bring us freedom. And I love this phrase. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Jesus prepared, prepared breakfast. And there's no need of the big catch. He provides. Jesus always provides. And with Jesus, there's always an invitation. There's a way back. There's always a way back with Jesus. And he knew Peter's failures. Peter was acquainted with failure. But failure doesn't have to have the last word. And for Peter, it really didn't. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. He's prepared it for him. He knows our failures. It doesn't have to be the final word. Unresolved guilt, if we don't deal with things, leads to difficulties, leads for guilt, leads for troubles in their lives. Jesus knows our failures and he knows how painful they can be. And he also knows we don't always want to deal with them. But it doesn't have to be the final word. The goodness and mercy and kindness of God can come over us unrelentingly. We can know God in those moments. Washing over our lives. He is faithful when we are faithless. Even this morning, we could be here because, ah, oh, well, it's Easter Sunday, I should be here. Or, well, I've been doing this for quite a while. I should turn up. Well, that's good. Great. I'm so glad you're here. But there's something else going on here. There's like the laser-like eye on you from Jesus because he wants to meet with us. My prayer every Sunday is, God, meet with us. Meet with the people of God. Come and encourage us. Come and challenge us. Come and shape us. Come and change us. And that's what he wants to do every Sunday and especially today. Washing over our lives. And let's move on to the climax of Peter's restoration. John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus and Peter have taken away a walk a little bit away from the others. Peter is not making excuses. He's not offering up a few mitigating reasons for his denials. He's not saying, I was outnumbered. They all was against you. I couldn't, do, I couldn't deal with it. He's not blaming anyone else. He didn't say, you don't understand Jesus. They were going to kill me. There really is, with Peter, a godly sorrow, a humbling, an owning of his own failings. And Jesus has unfinished business with Peter. I'm sure we get the connection Three times Peter denies Jesus, and three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Of course, Peter was hurt. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I mean, I feel Peter's pain in that moment. I'm sure you've had moments too where you've overpromised or you feel like you've let Jesus down. But he didn't do what Jesus did. Pete, Judas did, sorry. 
he swam to Jesus for all he's worth, as fast as he could to get to Jesus. Peter wanted restoration. And what's Jesus' response? He doesn't say, do you repent, Peter? You're a long way from where I thought you'd be by now. He doesn't remind him of the big promises that he made at different times. He didn't say to Peter, well, you're on probation. You've got to prove yourself. You've got to start right at the bottom. No, he just asks a question. Do you love me? With every yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. There is a fresh command, a recommissioning. Peter's not on probation. He's called into the work of the kingdom of God. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, you're to be a shepherd of the people of God. Do the work of the shepherd. Do the work of the good shepherd, of the great shepherd. I, I really love these verses. Well, we all do, don't we? But I love that. It's the aspiration, like the call of God on Peter's life, is to serve the family of God, to serve the people of God. And it's a great thing to aspire to care for the people of God. It has eternal value. Every moment that you spend in kids' work, every moment conversation with some of our young people, every life group you've ever led or contributed towards, every Tuesday group you've ever served on, all these things and many more, they're our Peter moments. Right? We haven't got, we're not going to write any bits of the Bible. That's done. Right? We won't do what Peter did, obviously. But there's a call of God on our lives. And as I was writing this, I was just thinking about the different age groups within Grace Church. And I just felt like the 20s and 30s amongst us. Go for God with all your strength. Don't give in to what the world wants to give you. There are so many distractions. But go for God with all your worth throughout your years. In the, I was thinking like the 40s and 50s can be pressure times. Career, the kids are older now. There's so many more pressures but it's not passed you by. There's still time to do great things to, for God. He's calling you to do great things. And when I say great things, it's the things of the kingdom. It's like speaking to your neighbor. It's, it's praying for that person on the building site, if ever you go on a building site. And then I was thinking about the older ones. I thought about that a bit longer, seeing as I'm in that bracket. The 60s and 70s and even 80s, you know, like we want to finish well. I want to finish well for God. Like he's calling us like he called Peter. It's not a little faint calling. This is not an add-on to our lives. He's calling on our lives is significant, important. Finish well. Use your experience. Use your wisdom. Use all that God's given you. All the energy that you've got, use it for God in these days. Who knows how long we've got? But whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. That may not have been quite to do with what I was, you know, the whole Peter thing, but I, I do feel like there's a sense of, like Peter, God is calling us again. But the key question, really, is not how do I get up the, the ladder in church life? It's the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? And that's where our motivation has to come from. Do you love me? And John is listening in behind Craftily. No, I shouldn't have said that. John is there. He can hear it. But Peter says, what about him? And Jesus says to him, don't worry about him. Follow me. Same place where Jesus first called Peter, right at the beginning. 
And at the end, Jesus is saying, follow me. Do you remember when Jesus first called you? Can you remember that place, that time? You might not exactly know, but you know it happened. Same for us. Let's keep following Jesus. The disciples were finished and done. It was over on Friday. But Jesus rose from the grave and it changed everything. Jesus' resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no restoration. There's no restoration for Peter and there's none for us. But he is alive. He's risen from the grave. It is all about Jesus. His overcoming of death and sin changed everything for Peter, the disciples, and for you and me. He's alive. Therefore, we can walk in a relationship with Jesus. It's stunning. It's breathtaking. It's awe-inspiring to walk with Jesus. And I know it doesn't feel like that every moment of every day, but when we're in the presence of God, that is what it is, right? It's awe-inspiring. God, you're amongst us. And I think Jesus wants to meet with us again afresh. If the band could come up. And I think this, while they're coming up, please just stay focused because I think Jesus wants to ask us a question. Do you love me? And, and I'm sure the answer is yes. But he still asks the question, do you love me? And maybe for some in the room, there's, there's some restoration that needs doing. You know, you've moved away from God or whatever. There's never, the failure doesn't have to be the last word. We can be restored right here, right today. And I also think there are some of us in the room where there's a recommissioning. Like Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs over our lives. It might not be as glamorous, it might not be that, but it's about the work of the kingdom that shapes and changes us. And the chapter before, when Jesus was, was with the disciples, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 22. And I want us to experience the Holy Spirit right now as we come and worship. And Jesus said this, after all the stuff that had gone on, the disciples had run away, Peter did what he did, and he says, come and have breakfast. There's that invitation. Can we just stand, please, if you're able to? And Jesus is saying, well, he's not saying quite come and have breakfast, but there is that invitation. Come to me. Come to me. I want to restore you. I want to recommission you. I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Let's worship, and uh, we've got a bit of time, and then we'll see where we go before the end.